Hey everyone, my name is Paige and I am the Creative Arts Manager at Grace Church Barberton. Welcome to our Sunday service podcast. We are so glad you're listening. This is the live recording of our Sunday message and we hope you are encouraged and challenged by what you hear. Let's jump into our series, The Seed. Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to see you all this morning. We are so glad that you're here. My name is Joel. If I have not met you before, we would love to meet you after the service. I'll probably be standing outside. Would love to get to know you a little bit, and we'd love for you to grab a gift, like Paige said, after the service. Make sure you do that. No strings attached. We're just glad that you're here, and we're an exciting Sunday, an exciting journey together, but I'm going to start with a question. Okay, I'm going to start with a question that I think is very relatable to everyone in this room. Have you ever been bothered by someone before? Oh boy, right? Don't start me on this, right? Have you ever been bothered by someone before, right? There's people in the room, right? You're, You're maybe a teenager in the room and you're like mom and dad. Right now you're just in the season where you're like, don't walk into my room, don't eat dinner with me, don't just stop bothering me, right? Or maybe you are an older sibling, Who's a firstborn in the room? Any firstborns in the room, right? Yeah, oh, my people, I'm a firstborn, right? Got younger siblings, right? And you're like, oh, geez, they're just following me around, right? Maybe you go to school and you have a teacher, right? And they're just bossing you around. Maybe they're just telling you what to do and you're just bothered by that, right? Others of us, we work, right? And you have a boss and they just keep bossing you around, right? I hope my staff doesn't think that about me, right? And here they're like, Joel's the one that bothers me. I'm like, I'm sorry, right? But here's the reality. When someone bothers you, usually there's a lot of components going into it. There's not just the person, but maybe it's the environment or the situation. For me specifically, in the middle of the night, potentially is the worst time to bother me because I'm sleeping like many of us are. And recently, my eldest, who is four years old, has transitioned from his crib to a toddler bed to a twin bed, right? We're in like some big waters, some scary waters there, right? He's got his own bed, he's got his dinosaur sheets, all that stuff. And what we found is this, what the crib was doing, the twin bed cannot. And so me and Jess were asleep, sound asleep, right? Kids are asleep, we're sound asleep, everything's going well. And I'm laying there, which I consciously cannot remember this, but I bet I'm laying there, breathing real normally, having probably this delightful dream about ice cream and skipping in a field of daisies, something like that. And then all of a sudden, something wakes me. And it sounds something like this. And I wake up. And there are two things that go through my mind. One is, please, Lord, let this not be the end, right? Like, this cannot be it, right? I don't want it to happen like this. And then the second is this. Oh, here we go again, right? And I roll over, and I see my darling son, who I love deeply. But in the middle of the night, it's really hard to navigate with your four-year-old son why he should go back to his twin bed and go back to sleep because playtime is reserved for when the sun is out, right? And honestly... Honestly, for me, that is when I get the most bothered because you woke me up from my sleep. Now I'm awake. Now I am running everything through my brain. Now I have to handle getting you back into bed. And so recently what's happened is 
I've just been like, you know what, who cares? And I'm just like, come on, bud, just get into bed. We're just all going to fall back asleep. And then I wake up two hours later, and I'm like, who? Okay, I got to get him back to his twin bed, right? You've been in that situation before where you've been bothered. It's a situation, maybe it's a person, maybe it is some form of environment that you are sitting in. But here's the question I have. What if our Father in heaven, eyes up here, eyes up here, what if our Father in heaven delights in being bothered by us? What if Father in heaven delights in being bothered by us? What if our Father in heaven yearns for us to walk into his room as often as we can? What if God, the God of the universe that we love and serve, who first loved us, delights in waking him up, per se, through prayer. As we are journeying together in this journey we're calling the seed, my question I ask as we finish it up today is, what would it look like for us to bother God? To bother God, and I'll explain that, and we'll get to it, for the next three years, for the sake of the next generation, our community, and beyond. What if we committed to running into God's chambers, running into his room, running in and saying, Father, for the sake of our community, the next generation, and beyond. We're in a series that we're calling The Seed, and really it's not just a four-week series in the month of March, it is a three-year journey that we are going on as a church a three-year journey of asking God, lead us into where you want us. Lead us into where you want us to invest and jump into together. And as we've been talking through this, the question that keeps coming up and the question that we keep proposing is this. What if we planted the seed that would eventually grow into the next generation of oaks? What if we planted the seed that would eventually grow into the next generation of oaks? Oaks, what would that look like? What would it look like to invest our lives in such a way that we would see God move in the hearts and minds of those in our community and the next generation? That in years to come, we would see spiritual oaks grow and they would cover over our community and communities everywhere around us. And as we've been wrestling with this question, been wrestling with this journey and praying over it over the course of the last year, really, we landed on a passage. That passage is Isaiah 61. The entire passage is Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3, but we honed in on verse 3. And this is what Isaiah writes. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. We started to lean into that passage because here's the reality. And I told you this, I've been joking about it. I've done more oak research in the last year than I ever thought I would do in my life, right? But an oak tree is known for its wisdom and its resilience. It's known for longevity. An oak tree can live to be 900 to 1,000 years old and around on this earth. There's amazing things that you can kind of point to and see inside of that image. We said we want the next generation of followers of Jesus to look more like oaks than mushrooms. And we said this, when we lean into that passage, two things have to be true for that to even happen. Before we can even invest, before we can run into it with our own kind of time, money, energies, two things have to be true. One is this, that the gospel has to be at the center of this conversation. 
Jesus. He is the one that makes oak trees happen and possible. And second is this. We want to make sure that the glory of God is seen throughout this whole journey and seen throughout the oak trees that are to grow out of this journey. And if those two things are in place, then we can invest our time, monies, and energies in such a way to run into that. And if you've been in any of the conversations at all, we've kind of honed it down to three areas we want to invest in. Reaching the lost, raising up disciples, and releasing leaders. That we want to spend our time saying what would it look like to run into our community and community spaces for the sake of Jesus? What would it look like to invest in discipleship among our campus, among our church, for the sake of the next generation to come? And what would it look like to raise up leaders and release them into the community and beyond so that Jesus is known, heard, and experienced in a really neat way. Now, if you haven't been a part of any of those conversations, the small group meetings that we had the last couple of Tuesdays, you're okay. On our website tomorrow, you'll see a little graphic that will say the seed. And if you click on that, it'll take you to a video where you can watch all the things that we're running into or projects that we're going to invest into for the next three years. So my invitation would be tomorrow or next week at some time, check out where we are going and where God is leading us as we jump into this journey together. But today is a special day. Today is a special day inside of this conversation. Today we're calling it Commitment Sunday. Okay? Yes! Thank you! Okay, I'm going to say that again because she started something. We're all just going to go, woo! Okay? Today is Commitment Sunday. Yeah, that's what I love right there, right? It is a good day. It is a fun day. It's an exciting day. In the backs of the seats, you will see the commitment cards that we have been talking about the last month. And our invitation is this, is that you would take it, look at it, and that you would pray over it, and maybe you have been praying over it, and that you would consider committing to this journey over the next three years. If this is your first time, or maybe you're newer to Grace, you're just checking things out, there's no pressure at all to jump into this. We just want you to get to know us, to journey with us a little bit, and we'll keep inviting you into different things. But if you're someone who's invested here, been here for a minute, we would love for you to pray over that. And at the end of service, we're actually going to spend some time to allow you to pray in this moment and to physically get up and to drop your cards in the box in the back. We would love for you to do that, and we'll walk you through that at the end. But we've been in this journey through March talking about the biblical vision of the seed, okay? And I'm going to sort of run through it real quick, go back onto our website. Also, you'll see kind of the conversations that land there. I would invite you to check those out. But we've said three things thus far, okay? That this journey needs to first and foremost be a movement of planting the gospel, to be a movement of planting the gospel, right? Our hearts need to move in such a way, and our desire needs to be to plant the gospel in the community, in our neighborhoods, in the area around us. If we are to see the seed journey go in such a way and invest it in such a way, our hearts have to be attached to moving the gospel into areas it's not. Then secondly, we said this, it also has to be a movement of pursuing Jesus, right? Jesus first and foremost is at the center of this conversation, and our prayer is at the center of each and every one of our lives. And what we said the second week is this, that our lives need to be in such a way of pursuing the one who first pursued us. Pursuing him, not for the sake of our own glory, but for the sake of his, and abiding in him more to see the fruit that will develop out of that. 
Then last week we said this, it's got to also be a movement of purposeful multiplication. Purposeful multiplication. Multiplication is in the entire story of God's story. And he invites us to be a part of that as the church, to go out on mission, to go out and make disciples, to run into people's lives and invite them to be a part of what he is doing. So he said, if those are the things that we're invested into, if that's where the heart is, then we need to jump in and be a part of it. But today's really important because I think today might be the most important of any of these conversations that we're going to have. Eyes up here. And today's something we talk about every week. You maybe see this lingo every day. You probably are attached to it in some form of way in practice or a rhythm. If I were to be honest, this conversation can feel old hat and can feel like we've been there, done that. Don't let it be. Don't let it be, please. Because if this conversation isn't at the forefront of the practice of running into this journey, then I think we'll just end up trying to do this in and of ourselves. So first and foremost, this journey has to be a movement of prayer. Has to be a movement of prayer. And don't let that just sit as something you've written down before. Because I believe, to use the lingo we started with, that in this journey, God is inviting us to run into his chamber, to run into his room, to run in and bother him for the next three years and beyond for the sake of our own discipleship to him, but also for the sake of those that are around us that don't know him yet. That he yearns for that and desires it. That my, my thought process in this is before we go out there, we need to run into there. Before we go out and just do the things that we need to do or plan the events or go out and do all of this, that he is inviting us into something so profound and important. So profound and important that if we miss it, we'll miss everything. If we miss it, we won't realize the beauty of it. Because this journey is not so much about running as fast as we can into these projects. The projects that we have going on in the community, the things that we want to do inside of our church, the things that you'll find on the website. It's not so much running in and as fast as we can to do those things, but as fast as we can into our Father's house and our Father's presence. Reaching the lost, raising up disciples, and releasing leaders does not happen in our power, but through the power of prayer. Now, I'm going to have you turn to Luke 11. We've been in Luke 4 this entire journey. We're not going to start there today, but we've been in this entire journey kind of focusing on that chapter. And this is what Luke 4 writes. Luke 4 talks about this prophecy of Jesus that we find in Isaiah 61. Jesus reads in a temple in Nazareth and says after he reads Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2, today the scripture has been fulfilled. That what Jesus is saying about this idea of the seed, this, this scripture from Isaiah 61 is it's me, it's all about me, it's because of me, the gospel is me. And this idea of rescuing, redeeming, and restoring is because of me. And I invite you to jump into that journey with me. And I'll release you into the world to do the same, to point to me and point to what I have done. Now, Luke 11. Luke 11 is a little bit further in the journey of Luke. We'll get there at some point. But what I love about Luke 11 is this. Jesus is traveling with his disciples. 
Basically, they're just followers of Jesus. They're learners. They're students. They want to learn from Jesus, what he does, and who he is. And in Luke 11, they introduce a unique and interesting concept and, and question. And I love the disciples because they're just like you and I. They're just kind of guys that are following Jesus, and they're wondering, what in the world are you doing? And so Luke 11 starts like this. Verse 1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And I love that. We're just going to stop there and hang on that for a minute. Because as I was reading this passage and reading some books on prayer, do you know what's fascinating? Is this is one of the only times, if not the only times, where the disciples stop Jesus and say, teach us to do this. Right? It is the time where the disciples lean in and say, that looks different. I'm not so sure what you're doing. Can you teach us how to? Right? They didn't stop Jesus and say, teach us how to do these miracles. They didn't stop Jesus and say, teach us how to heal that person. They didn't stop Jesus and say, teach us how to teach Jesus. The one time or very few times they stop him and say, teach us how to pray. I think it's interesting I think we can skim past that. And he goes into the Lord's Prayer after this, and we kind of read that, and we can go on. But let's hang on that for a minute. There's something the disciples see that I think you and I will lean into today, but also that is interesting in the context that we sit in called the world. I was reading a book, and the author would say that prayer is the one spiritual practice that is still relevant whether you are inside of the church or not, whether you follow Jesus or not. That there in the midst of a unspiritual or non-spiritual world that we may live in, prayer is still something that a lot of people hold on to no matter what you believe about God. There's some crazy stat out there that says nine out of 10 people, no matter their religious belief, say they pray. There is a song even by a man named Sam Smith, who's not a follower of Christ, and it's called Pray. And this is the lyrics. It says, I'm young and I'm foolish. I've made bad decisions. I block out the news, turn my back on religion, don't have no degree, I'm somewhat naive. I've made it this far on my own. But lately, that stuff ain't been getting me higher. I lift up my head and the world is on fire. There's dread in my heart and fear in my bones, and I just don't know what to say. Maybe I'll pray. Maybe I'll pray. I've never believed in you, no, but I'm going to pray. That's interesting. That's interesting. He would not claim to be a follower of Christ. His lifestyle would not be that of following Jesus. And yet there's something inside of him as the world is falling apart, as there's fires coming up everywhere, that there's something inside him to write a song about prayer because there's nowhere else I can go. And I think oftentimes, if we were to be honest, that is where we start, is when the world is falling apart, when things aren't going the way that I want them to go, I'm going to pray. What I love about Jesus is he teaches us something profound about prayer, that what if it wasn't just when the world was falling apart and the things that I was leaning into aren't getting me higher anymore and I can't do this on my own, but what if prayer wasn't just a last resort but a first response? What if prayer wasn't about getting some sort of answer but communion with God? 
Because this is where Jesus goes as his disciples say, teach us to pray. He says this, Luke eleven two. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. You and I know that. I played football. Every, every game, we would say that prayer before we go out onto the field, right? Like it would do some mystical work and we wouldn't get hurt or we'd win. We didn't win very often, so that must not be the case. But here's the reality. I think what Jesus is leaning into here is something profound and beautiful. That when I run into prayer, should be a first response, not a last resort, it's less about a conclusion and more about communion. It's not about getting what you want, but meeting with someone. And when my posture towards prayer changes, it will change me. And my invitation to all of us is to not just see the next three years as church things we get to do together and as a bunch of projects we get to invest into and events that we get to put on and groupings that we get to be a part of, but would be a journey in your own soul, a journey in your own heart to communion with the one true God who desires a relationship with you more than anything else. That's why he sent his son. And so as we walk through this, I pray that each and every one of our hearts would just spark because of his grace and mercy through this understanding of prayer. It has for me. This week, I've approached prayer very differently than I've approached prayer ever before. I can personally struggle to see God as my father and run into him that way. And yet there's something so beautiful that he invites us into. So first, I'd have you write this down. Jesus, in this passage, introduces us to the person of prayer. Jesus introduces us to the person of prayer. You and I are not the main character in prayer necessarily. We're a supporting character. The main character is God. And what I love about Jesus is this, right? Jesus introduces us to a unique title to address the God of the heavens and the earth with. Luke 11, he introduces something that in a first century Jewish mind would have been bonkers. Would have been like, what do you mean address him like such? And Jesus says, when you pray, start with Father. And that would have blown their minds. Been like, what, what do you mean by that? I'm not sure how to interact with that. We're used to calling him Yahweh or the Most High God, right? They would have been interacting in that format. Said, Father, what, what do you mean address him as such? Well, Jesus later on tells us this. In Luke 11, he's two, he says, when you pray, say, Father, right? Hallowed be your name. And then he goes on to verse 11 through 13, which is on the next slide, Dan. Which of you, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Which I absolutely love. He's helping us understand this concept of Father in such a beautiful and profound way. Addressing God as Father is personal and relational. And it tells me two things. First is this, it tells me something about God. The fact that Jesus says, Pray as such, starting with Father. It tells me something about the God 
of the universe. And here's the reality. I don't know what you believe about God. Uh, Maybe church, Jesus, maybe God is a new conversation for you, and you need to know this. We're so glad you're here. You're welcome here. You don't have to agree with everything we say to be a part of what's going on. But what we would believe is that the God of the universe loves you so deeply. The fact that Jesus says, Father, tells me something about our God. Tells me that he wants a relationship with me that goes beyond just some kind of formality or some distant deity that I kind of throw wishes up to. But rather, he wants a deep, profound, intimate relationship. And here's how I know that. is because the Father God sent his one and only son so that you and I could become sons and daughters inside of his family. Did you get that? Don't let that that go in one ear and out the other. The Father God, who is in perfect relationship with Jesus, the Son God, sent him into this world where people who are running from him are living so that Jesus could go after them, teach them, love on them, embrace them, and then die for them and rise again so that you and I, if we turn to him, can be in his family. How beautiful is that? We would say here the gospel starts with God loves you. You know that? God created the heavens and the earth, and he created you and I. And he created us in the beginning to be just that, sons and daughters. To be sons and daughters who are part of his creation and a part of the creative order and to lead with him and to do work with him. He created Adam and Eve, and that's how the relationship was until sin entered in. Sin separates you and I. Separate Adam and Eve at the beginning. They were kind of exited out of the garden. And sin has forever separated you and I from a relationship with our God because we are choosing to run this way instead of run into him. And sin, what it does is it confuses us. It makes us believe that I can find my identity my community, my worth, and things other than him. That literally, I'm trying to find my sonship or my daughtership in things of this world instead of my father who created me and loves me. So I'll keep running after those horizontal things until I connect to Jesus, who is the son who came into this earth fully God and fully human And he lived a perfect life, died the death that you and I deserve, and rose again so that when you and I connect our life, entrust our life, say yes to him, we get the full privilege of identity as sons and daughters, inheritance as sons and daughters, and intimacy as sons and daughters with the Father who is in heaven. And he invites you to say yes. Listen, for some of us, that that is all we need today is to know that you are known and loved and valued and there is a God pursuing you so much so that John 3.16 tells me he loved you so much so he sent his one and only son for you so you wouldn't perish, but that you would have eternal life and life to its fullest now with him. 
Are you going to be perfect? No. Are my children perfect all the time? No. Most of the time, they're not, right? Do I still love them? Yes. And I invite them to keep running to me, even when they mess up. God may be inviting you for the first time. Where you've been searching for your identity, searching for who you are, searching for your worth, and you're trying to find it over here, but it's just leaving you empty. And God's inviting you to see Jesus for the first time. But that tells me something about prayer. It tells me prayer is not some formal presentation to a distant deity, but a personal letter to your father. Prayer, prayer in light of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, means it is not some formal presentation that I got to make to a distant deity that maybe will answer some of them and will forget some of them and is maybe there, maybe not, but is rather this relationship where I get to be with him, where I get to run into his presence and offer up what's going on in my life and get to know him more through that. But secondly, it tells me what he thinks about me. First, it tells me who he is, but second, it tells me what he thinks about me, which, listen, is profound and beautiful because in this passage, what we see is this. He is trying to equate who he is and the relationship he desires with us and what he is all about to earthly fathers, which I know when we talk about God as father for some of us, that's a hard conversation because our earthly fathers weren't present. They, they weren't a part of our life. They weren't kind or nice. Maybe they just weren't a part of what's going on. And we empathize with you. I'm not going to stand up here and try to convince you to think one way or another. My invitation is to just keep running into Jesus and into God in the midst of that. And we want to come around you. But what he does is this. He says, how much, how much do I love you? Well, think about earthly fathers, right? If a son asks for a fish, they'll give him a snake instead. No. If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? No. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. So a lot of things are happening there, right? He's like, if he asks for a fish, you give him a snake. No, that's not going to happen, right? It's kind of like all of a sudden, if my son asked for food and I brought him trash, right? he'd be like, what are you doing, right? The father in me would never do that. The father in me would never want to lay that in front of my child. So he's like, yeah, no, nobody that can think common sense-wise would do that. And even to consider that you are evil, and what he's saying there is you're full of sin. So we tend to think selfishly. We tend to think for our own good. And even then, fathers on earth generally are for the good of their sons and daughters, says, think of that, even though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's like, I love you, and I want to lavish onto you the gifts and the beauties and the wonders of first and foremost who I am and what I have to offer. Don't doubt me on that. He says, even though Earthly fathers might be sinful, how they give good gifts. How much more your heavenly, wonderful, all-powerful Father in heaven? Because in prayer, I get to interact with my Father, and he's inviting me in to see the goodness of who he is. And when I visit my Father in prayer, I will begin to see he loves me. Listen, we are yearning for that. 
Every day you wake up and you yearn for someone to love you. That's why you may be running to certain things. And in prayer, the thing he wants you to know is, I love you. I'll keep running after you. I'll keep pursuing you. That's why we praise him in prayer. I get to understand that a new length, and that's why I get to cry out in prayer. But also this, eyes up here. The second thing that happens is I begin to see I can trust him. I can trust him. In prayer, I can trust him with the mess that I am. I can trust him even when I mess up. I can trust him when that sin keeps tempting me and I fall into it and he keeps yearning me to come back to him. I keep telling my kids this, right? I tell them to do something or I tell them, you know, when we're talking about things that maybe they messed up on or things of that nature, I tell them this all the time, listen and trust. Listen and trust your dad. Because, not because I'm just your dad, I love you. And I have proved that love over and over. Listen and trust me. And your God in heaven is desiring for you to listen and trust him, even in the messy parts of life. He says, I'm gonna love you through all of that. The movement of prayer starts by recognizing the relationship with our father and running into his chambers. But then secondly is this, Jesus encourages us to be persistent in prayer. Persistent in prayer. Right? Any of you just by nature persistent or bold? No one. One. Oh boy. Okay. So we're going to learn this together. Be persistent in prayer because I generally am not. I'm like, let's throw it up in an outline version and let's just keep going, right? God, Jesus invites us to be persistent and he uses this example. Luke 11. This is where he goes right after the Lord's Prayer. I think it's on the screen, five through seven. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend. Now, Jesus loves stories. So he interjects, of course, a story in the midst of teaching on prayer. So suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight. Stop there. In the illustration, put yourself in the shoes of the person going to the friend. You are not the friend at home. You're going to the friend. He's trying to make an illustration here. And this is what happens. You go to a friend at midnight. Put yourself in that position. If you've done this before, we can talk later. There might be other things we need to discuss. And then he says, friends, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. Stop there. There's a lot of problems with my OCD type A brain. Like you had a friend come. You didn't know they were coming? You had all week to prepare for the bread, right? Aldi's open, right? Eight to eight. We could have got this figured out, man, right? And then you go to your other friend's right? And you bang on his door at midnight, right? We're starting, we're starting two points less here. We're just not going well. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. Like, yeah, who else would have said that, right? Get away, man. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. Toddlers, once your kids are in bed, you're like, don't make a noise because we can actually get something done, right? This guy's banging on the door at midnight. You're like, great, to figure that out now with my kids. I can't get up and give you anything. He goes on to verse 8, right? Continue on the slides, Dan, the man. We got it? We got it back there? Boom. Verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, 
Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need, right? Who knows if the guy inside is still your friend, by the way, right? But he's like, because you're ridiculous, I will give you the bread, is what he's saying. Because of your audacity, because of your boldness, because you keep going there, right? The audacity of someone to run into that. Maybe you've experienced that on one end or the other, right? Have you ever had that moment where the audacity of someone to go an extra length that you weren't anticipating, you weren't thinking about? Jesus says, this is what I'm inviting you to do with your Father in heaven. I'm inviting you to be the one knocking on the door in shamelessly, boldly, persistently, with an audacity to be that person. Because here's the reality. Jesus... God, the Father, who we are running into in prayer, desires it. He's not going to be like the friends, go away, man, get my nap time in. He's like, no, 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 I desire. The person of prayer, God, the Father, delights in being bothered because, listen, listen, because he gets to reveal himself to us. The person of prayer delights in being bothered because he gets to reveal himself to us. It is a joy. Think about your father in heaven. Think about the illustration I started with. Think about us being the four-year-old getting out of the twin bed and running into our father's room and waking our father up and saying, I've got something to share with you. I want to be with you. I want to hang out with you. I'm like, ugh. Our father in heaven's like, yes, let's go. It is time. It is time to be with my children. Think about it. And he's like, keep running into my room. My dad growing up, he would often see me, my sister, and my brother in their room, right? So it's just kind of a generational thing, I guess, in our family, right, where we run in. I remember being in elementary school, early elementary school, right, whether it was like storming out, it was a bad dream, It was dark, and I woke up, and I didn't know what to do, right? So I ran across the whole house into my father's room. I remember eventually my father did this, right? He was so gracious, too, right? Probably felt like me inside. It's like, oh, so gracious. He talked to us, all that stuff. And then eventually, this is what happens. It started to become a thing, especially with my sister. And what happened is he started to keep a blanket and a pillow beside his bed on the ground because he just knew at some level, one of us would be coming running in. And if it, instead of it becoming a bothersome, like, oh, he's like, let me make you your bed here because the presence of your father is making you feel more secure. The presence of his love is wrapped around you and you can trust me even when nothing else seems to be happening. Listen, eyes up here. Father, your father heaven because he's got a blanket and a pillow next to his bed and he wants your presence there because he's going to reveal something to you about himself that would not take place unless you keep running in listen there's some personal 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 beauty to that in each of our lives because individually he wants each of us to run in And when he says, be persistent, have that audacity, have the boldness, run in, he delights in us bringing to him 
a wonder about him, but also bringing to him things that aren't going well. Right? Things that may not be going as a planned or people that I have my life and I'm wondering about and I'm praying over. He says, I want you to know me more and more through those prayers. I want you to run in. I want you to be a part of that. Listen, that is my desire too as a husband and father. It doesn't work out perfectly. I want my family to bother me. I want them to know my heart and my love for them, just like my dad did for us. And in prayer, God desires us to run in so that we would see him, interact with him, wonder about him differently. This is where Jesus goes right after this. Luke 5 continues, verse 9. He says, So I say to you, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. So the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Right? And oftentimes I've read that, and I'm like, oh, ask, seek, knock, sweet. If I do that in that order, everything's going to work out, and I'm going to get what I want in prayer. That's not how it happens. doesn't mean everything will work out as I pray. Nope. It means that you will see your Father more clearly than ever. And as he answers your prayer over time, you will begin to see his heart in that. And that is more beautiful than my heart just getting what I want. The beauty to attaching our lives to the one who is all present. Be persistent, be bold, be bothersome, because this is what I believe. He sees bonding instead of bothering. He sees abiding instead of annoying. He sees intimacy instead of irritating. Your father delights in being bothered by you. Keep running into the room. Please. Keep running in. He's got a blanket and pillow. He I was thinking about this this morning. I cuddle with my kids, right, when things are, I cuddle them, all that stuff. Spiritually, I am very young. He wants to cuddle and hold. He wants you to know that you are his in the midst of it. Then lastly is this, and this is where we're gonna finish. Jesus reveals the prize of prayer. Jesus reveals the prize of prayer. I, I love this. It's where Jesus finishes in verse 13. Because the prize of prayer, I think oftentimes, I believe is getting what I want, right? It's usually how prizes work. I'm like, get what I want, ask for whatever, get that, awesome. But it's not in the case of prayer. The prize of prayer is not getting what I want, rather it's getting him. Verse 13 is beautiful. If you then, though you are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children, back to the father illustration, okay? How much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, right? How wonderful is that? And that, and that can seem like, what is he talking about? With the Holy Spirit, right? We got Jesus talking about the father and prayer to him, and then the Holy Spirit's gonna come. How's this all blend? What he's saying is this. When you ask, you're going to receive me. Says, ask, seek, not, and the gift is me. If you ask for wisdom in a situation because you're navigating something with family or friends or in your work and, and you are following Jesus, but you're just like, how do I navigate this? Where do I go from here? What do I say? Do I bring this up? Do I not? If you ask for wisdom, you're not just going to get wisdom. You're going to get the spirit of wisdom who resides in you. He goes with you. He's going to be there with you. 
I love in, I love in scripture, writers say, hey, you may not know what to say. The Spirit's gonna give you the words. The Spirit groans for us in prayer. If you're asking for comfort, it's not just comfort that he's gonna give you, but the comforter, the spirit of comfort. If you're asking for friendship, He doesn't just send you a friend. He is one who is present with you. If you're asking for truth, he sends the spirit of truth. If you're asking for grace and mercy, he sends you the spirit of grace and mercy. If you're asking for boldness, he's gonna send you the spirit of boldness. And who is all of that? It is him. It's God. What he's saying is this. When you run into prayer and and you are offering up your prayers Oftentimes, we look for the visible thing that's going to plop in front of our doorstep, like Amazon. We're out there, and we're just waiting for the box to be thrown up. You're like, sweet, answer. And what's more powerful is the gift, the person of God, Jesus, the Spirit living inside of you and carrying you through, being present with you, and helping you navigate whatever life's throwing in front of you. Because here's what's true, is you will start to rely more on him than just wondering when the next thing that's coming for you is coming. You'll start to follow him differently in light of that. I equate it to this. Think about my son, right? This just turned up a lot of illustrations about kids and being a father, okay? My son comes to me and asks me for help. There's two different things I can do. One's generally better than the other. Daddy, help me fix this. Or Daddy, how do I fix this? One answer can be, do this, do that, go. The other is, let me go show you. Let me come with you. I'll be with you. I'm going to stand next to you. Are we going to figure out the first time? Maybe not. Is it going to be annoying still? Potentially. But I'm with you in it. I'm here to remind you that I'm always with you. That's what Jesus promises us. That's the gift. Listen, eyes up here, please. Followers of Jesus in particular. Can you imagine a day, I'm hoping I get here at like 70 or 80 years old, where I'm just in prayer and communion, conversation, and recognizing that the gift that I get is his spirit, enjoying in that? What a day. That's what he's saying. He's saying, it's me, and I will help you navigate that sticky situation, that yucky thing over here, that, ooh, I'm not so sure about that, and what's going to happen? I'm going to help you navigate that. But joy in my presence and being with me. That's the presence of the spirits. I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to close. But my hope is this is that you would be encouraged to bother our Father throughout this journey. Because as we bother our Father, he promises to go with us in this journey. He promises to go with us in this journey. What if we position our hearts in such a way towards him in prayer? So I just have three questions that I just want you to wrestle with, okay? Three questions. And like I said, If this is your first time, maybe you're newer, like, don't feel pressure to move when we do commitment card responses and stuff. You can grab it. You can look at it. We're not asking you to do anything with it. We'd love for you just to get a gift and join us next Sunday and Easter and all of that good stuff. Let me ask you this question. 
How are you praying right now? How are you praying right now? I don't think because I'm, I think very list. I'm like, well, I'm praying like this to start, and then I got this in the middle, and I got the, the sweet ending. Nope, 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 nope. How are you praying? How are you looking at your God in the midst of it? How are you praying right now? Is it this formal presentation to a distant deity that maybe if I throw some stuff up and wow, he's silent a lot and I'm not really sure that I get what he's doing and I don't really like this and oh, it's really a lot of reflecting on me and I'm not so sure. Or are you praying in such a way that you're running into your father's room? I tell you, this, this passage changed how I pray from Wednesday on, do sermon prep on Tuesday, Wednesday on, I just mentally put myself there where I just ran into my father's chambers and I woke him up. I said, Father, I want to talk with you. And he was ready for me. He didn't kick me out. It's not perfect every time. It doesn't make sense every time. I get lost in my train of thoughts, but he's still there on the bedside with me. He wants to hear from me. He wants to know what's paining my heart and what's hurting me. He wants to know what I'm excited about, how I see him. He, he wants to know the icky parts of my heart that aren't completely transformed yet, that aren't completely given over to him yet. He's like, please share those with me because I am lavishing you in forgiveness. So how are you praying right now? Secondly, where are you praying right now? Where are you praying right now? Prayer, prayer is not just a practice for this space. I believe this is a holy grounds, yes. I believe everywhere you walk as a follower of Christ, in the mundane, ordinary, doing laundry, making breakfast, going to work, at the coffee shop, wherever you are at, with your family, at a ball game, park, those are holy grounds. What if you chose, over the next three years, to pray, over a specific space and place? What if you walked up and down your neighborhood and you just prayed over names and houses? What would God do in that? What if you prayed around your workplace and every lunch you just traveled and prayer walked around your workplace? What would it look like students, middle school students, if you're at school here in Barberton or beyond, you decided to either get up early, stay late during lunch period, during free period, to walk the halls, walk around your school and pray for students that don't know Jesus. What will look like for us to be a movement of prayer, not for the sake of getting something out of it, right? We want God to move, of course, but for him to reveal to us who he is and to move on that. And lastly, how are you praying? Where are you praying? And lastly is this. It's the question that's in your commitment cards. It's the question we've been asking you in meetings or as we've talked about this journey. What if you planted your life for the splendor of the Lord? By praying, participating, partnering. We started with committing in your commitment cards to prayer. We're asking you to set your alarms to 6, 11 a.m. or p.m. to just be a reminder to pray over this journey. And yes, every time it goes off, it scares me. But it reminds me to pray. Praying for names and people and the things that we're going to jump into. Would you commit to that 
praying once a day for this journey, not just for the things we're doing, but for the people inside of it. Secondly, would you consider participating, which is our primary goal, participating in some discipleship efforts like our Next Generation Ministries, our Sunday Morning Ministries, or our Community Ministries. In your commitment card, you'll see check boxes there, and if you check one of those, we'll connect with you on some next steps. Then lastly, would you consider partnering with us financially? Right, the movement and the journey and the things we want to invest into do take financial investments. Right now, we're just focusing on our general budget. And we'd invite you to consider committing to giving for the first time financially or considering upping your giving for a season to help us tackle our general budget, which will be roughly 300000 to be able to run in our community, do some next generation ministry and beyond. So Paige and the team, they're going to play here for just a couple minutes and then they're going to jump into a song. I would invite you to see this space. Ordinary chairs. Ordinary day, March 26th. Ordinary people. Ordinary life. Extraordinary God. And would you just pray in your seats on where God wants you to move? Maybe it's in saying yes to Jesus. Maybe it's in talking to someone. Maybe it's in the commitment card. And as you pray, if you feel led to fill that commitment card out, during while they're playing, during the instrumental part, during while they're singing, there's a box in the back on a high top. Can't miss it. It says the seat. Just drop your commitment card in there at some point or after the service. If you want to, and today's not the day, we'll have that out throughout April, so you won't miss it. We love that we get to do this with you guys. It's a blast. I get fired up for these times together and what we get to do during the week. We've got some awesome people here, and it's fun to run into our community in some neat ways. So I'm going to pray and then let you guys, with your spouse, with your family, as an individual, just kind of continue that prayer. So, Father, we enter into your chambers right now. We're busting into your room. We're busting into the quietness of the spiritual night, per se. And, Father, we lift up our prayers to you. Father, you are not a distant deity. You're not just some far-out cosmic uh, person. You are God who is personal and relational, that you are wanting relationship with us and desire that. We praise you praise you for Jesus. We praise you for who you are and all that you do. We praise you for loving us. Thank you for wrapping us in your presence and your goodness. Father, thank you. And Father, we offer up our hearts as messy as they might still be, as as hurt as they might be, as, as stung as they might be. Father, there are things that we're holding back from you that Father, I pray you would reveal in our own hearts to give to you. And we cry out for the people of our community. We cry out for those that are in the surrounding areas. Some 65% of people that in our community would say they don't want Jesus or maybe don't know about Jesus or maybe are not sure about Jesus, that, Father, you would connect our pathways, that you would in Kaveh and the Y, that you would at our workplaces, at the theater, at school, anywhere that they would be, that you would enter us into those moments and run into trusting in you.
Father. Pray for the efforts at the YMCA, at Common Threads, at Van Buren. Pray for the efforts here in our life groups. Pray for the efforts of raising up high schoolers and beyond to run into leading, Father. All the things that we want to see happen, Father, we give to you. We ask that you would move in a profound way beyond what we could even imagine or understand. And as we just take a couple moments here, Father, would you do something in our hearts to reveal yourself to us? Would you move us to where you want us? So we just give you this time now to just be with your Father. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you'd like to reach out and connect with us or hear more about Grace, you can head to barberton.gracechurches.org for more information. We meet in person at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 629 Wesleyan Avenue in Barberton. Have a great day.